Section 11 of The Black Prophet by William Carleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 11. It's a shame for you, proceeded the peddler, to defend an old sinner like him. But then, as there's a pair of you that's not unnatural, every rogue will back his brother. I could name the place, anyway, that'll hold you both yet. And I could, replied Jimmy, name the piece of machinery that'll be apt to hold you, if you give the master any more abuse. Whether you'll grow in it or not is more than I know. But be my soul, we'll plant you there anyhow. Do you know what the stocks means? Faith, many a spare hour you've served there, I go bail, that is, when you had nothing else to do and by the way of recreation just ay said the pedlar listen how he sticks to the old villain but sure if you put any other two blisters together they'll do the same my own opinion is observed hanlon's aunt that it's a pity of the daltons at any rate every one feels for them but still the hand of god and his curse i'm afeard is upon them and that's more maybe than you'll know replied jemmy maybe god's only punishing them because he loves them it's good to have our suffering in this world after all said the pedlar i'm afeard myself too that the wrath of the almighty has marked them out indeed i'm sure of it and maybe that's not the only lie you're sure of replied jemmy it's a subject anyway you don't understand no he proceeded by all accounts charley it would wring any one's heart to see him taken away in his old age from his miserable family and children and then he's so humble too and so resigned to the will and way of god he's lying ill in the goal i seen him yesterday i went to see him and to say whatever i could to comfort him god pity his grey hairs and <clears throat> have compassion on him and his this day the poor fellow's heart could stand the sudden contemplation of dalton's sorrow no longer and on uttering the last words he fairly wept if i had known what it was about he proceeded but that old scoundrel of a prophet ay and that other old scoundrel of a master of mine <clears throat> i wished but what am I saying? But if I had known it, it'd go hard, but I'd give him a lift, so that he might get out of the way at any rate. Ay, said the peddler, at any rate, indeed, faith, you may well say it, but I say that at any rate he'll be hanged as sure as he murdered Sullivan, and as sure as he did, that he may swing, I pray this day. I'll hold no more discourse with that circulating vagabond replied jimmy i'm a christian man a peaceable man and i know what my religion orders me to do when i meet the likes of him that is when he holds the one cheek towards me to give him a sound christian rap upon the other so to the devil i pitch you you villain soul and body and that's the worst i wish you if you choose to be unchristian be so but be my soul i'll not set you the example charley he proceeded addressing hanlon i was sent for you in a hurry master dick wants you and so does red roddy the villain and i tell you to take care of him for like that vagabond judas he'd kiss you this minute and betray you the next i believe you're pretty near the truth replied jimmy but i was near forgettin it seems the crowner of the country is sick and there can't be an inquest held till he recovers if he ever does recover and if it'd serve poor old dalton that he never may i pray god this day come away you'll be killed for stayin just then young henderson himself called hanlon forth who after some conversation with him turned towards the garden where he held a second conference with red roddy who on leaving him appeared in excellent spirits and kept winking and nodding with a kind of burlesque good humour 
at every one whom he knew until he reached home in this state stood the incidents of our narrative suspended for some time by the illness of the coroner when mr travers himself a magistrate came to the head inn of the county town in which he always put up and where he held his office he had for several days previously gone over the greater portion of the estate and inspected the actual condition of the tenantry on it it is unnecessary to say that he was grieved at the painful consequences of the middleman system and of subletting in general wherever he went he found the soil in many places covered with hordes of pauper occupants one holding under another in a series that diminished from bad to worse in everything but numbers until he arrived at a state of destitution that was absolutely disgraceful to humanity and what rendered this state of things doubly painful and anomalous was the fact that while these starving wretches lived upon his employer's property they had no claim on him as landlord nor could he recognize them as tenants it is true that these miserable creatures located upon small patches of land were obliged to pay their rents the little tyrant who was over them and he again probably to a still more important little tyrant and so on but whenever it happened that the direct tenant or any one of the series neglected to pay his or their rent of course the landlord had no other remedy than to levy it from off the soil thus rendering it by no means an infrequent case that the small occupiers who owed nothing to him or those above them were forced to see their property applied to the payment of the head rent in consequence of the inability neglect or dishonesty of the middleman or some other subordinate individual from whom they held this was a state of things which mr travers wished to abolish but to do so without inflicting injury however unintentional or occasioning harshness to the people was a matter not merely difficult but impossible as we are not however writing a treatise upon the management of property we shall confine ourselves simply to the circumstances only of such of the tenants as have enacted a part in our narrative about a week had now elapsed since the abusive contest between jemmy brannigan and the peddler the coroner was beginning to recover and charlie hanlon's aunt had disappeared altogether from the neighborhood previous to her departure however she her nephew and the peddler had several close and apparently interesting conferences into which their parish priest the reverend anthony devlin was ultimately admitted it was clear indeed that whatever secret the peddler communicated had inspired both hanlon and his aunt with fresh energy in their attempts to discover the murderer of their relative and there could be little doubt that the woman's disappearance from the scene of its perpetration was in some way connected with the steps they were taking to bring everything connected with it to light travers already acquainted with the committal of old dalton as he was with all the circumstances of his decline and eviction from his farm was sitting in his office about twelve o'clock when our friend the peddler bearing a folded paper in his hand presented himself with a request that he might be favored with a private interview this without any difficulty was granted and the following dialogue took place between them well my good friend said the agent what is the nature of this private business of yours why please your honor it's a petition in favor of old condy dalton a petition of what use is a petition to dalton is he not now in gaol on a charge of murder you would not have me attempt to obstruct the course of justice would you the man will get a fair trial i hope i hope so your honor but this petition is not about the crime the unfortunate man is in for it's a humble prayer to your honor 
hoping you might restore him, or, I ought rather to say, his poor family, to the farm that they were so cruelly put out of. Will your honour read it, sir, and look into it, because, at any rate, it sets forth too common a case. I am partly acquainted with the circumstances already. However, let me see the paper. The peddler placed it in Mr. Travers's hands, who, on looking over it, read somewhat to his astonishment as follows. The humble petition of Cornelius Dalton, to his honour Mr. John Robert Travers, Esquire, on behalf of himself, his wife, and his afflicted family, now lying in a state of almost superhuman destitution, by Eugenius McGrane, Philomath and classical instructor in the learned languages of Latin English and the Hibernian vernacular, with an inceptive initiation into the rudiments of Greek as far as the Gospel of St. John the Divine, attended with copious disquisitions on the relative merits of moral and physical philosophy, as contrasted with the pusillanimous lectures of that ignoramus of the first water, Phaedric McSwagger, falsely calling himself Philomath, cum multis aliis quos enumerare longum est, humbly showeth that Cornelius Dalton, late of Carrah, gentleman agriculturalist, held a farm of sixty-six Irish acres under the right honourable, the reverse could be proved with sound and legitimate logic. Lord Mollyborough, an absentee nobleman, and proprietor of the Tullystretchum estate, that the said Cornelius Dalton entered upon the farm of Carrah, with a handsome capital and abundant stock, as became a man bent on improving it, for both the intrinsic and external edification and comfort of himself and family, that the rent was originally very high, and, upon complaint of this, several well-indicted remonstrances, urged with most persuasive and enthusiastic eloquence, as the indicter hereof can testify, were most insignificantly and superciliously disregarded, that the said Mr. Cornelius Dalton persisted notwithstanding this great act of contemptuosity and discouragement to his creditable and industrious endeavours to expend upon the aforesaid farm in solid and valuable improvements a sum of seven hundred pounds and upwards in building, draining, enclosing and manuring, all of which improvements transcendentally elevated the value of the farm in question, as the whole rational population of the country could depose to, may ipso teste quoque, that when this now highly emendated tenement was brought to the best condition of excellence of which it was susceptible, the middleman landlord, va miseris agricolus called upon him for an elevation of rent which was reluctantly complied with under the tyrannical alternative of threatened ejection incarceration of cattle etc etc and many other proceedings equally inhuman and iniquitous that this rack rent being now more than the land could pay began to paralyze the efforts and deteriorate the condition of the said Mr. Cornelius Dalton, and which, being concatenated with successive failures in his crops, and mortality among his cattle occasioned him, as it were, to retrograde from his former state, and in the course of a few calamitous years to decline by melancholy gradation and oppressive treatment from Richard Henderson, Esquire, j p his landlord to a state of painful struggle and poverty that the said richard henderson esq his unworthy landlord having been offered a still higher rent from a miserable disciple named darby scanadra among others unfeelingly availed himself of dalton's res augusta and 
underplay of his privileges as a landlord levied an execution upon his property auctioned him out and expelled him from the farm thus turning a respectable man and his family hopeless and houseless beggars upon the world to endure a misery and destitution that the said mr cornelius dalton now plain corny dalton for vile poverty humilifies even the name or rather his respectable family among whom facile princeps for piety and unshaken trust in her redeemer stands his truly unparalleled wife are lying in a damp wet cabin within two hundred perches of his former residence groaning with the agonies of hunger destitution dereliction and disease in such a state of complicated and multiform misery as rarely falls to the lot of human eyes to witness that the burden and onus of this petition is to humbly supplicate that mr cornelius dalton or rather his afflicted and respectable family may be reinstated in their farm as aforesaid or if not that richard henderson j p may be compelled to swallow such a titillating emetic from the head landlord as shall compel him to eructate to this oppressed and plundered man all the money he expended in making improvements which remain to augment the value of the farm but which at the same time were the means of ruining himself and his most respectable family for as the bard says sio vos non vobus etc etc of the remainder of this appropriate quotation your honor cannot be incognizant or any man who has had the advantage of being college-bred as every true gentleman or homo factus ad unguem must have otherwise he fails to come under this category and your petitioner will ever pray are you the mr eugenius mcrane asked the agent who drew up this extraordinary document no your honor i'm only merely a friend of the daltons although a stranger in the neighborhood but what means have dalton or his family granting that he escapes from this charge of murder that's against him of stocking or working so large a farm i am aware myself that the contents of this petition with all its pedantry are too true but consider sir that he sunk seven hundred pounds in it and that according to everything like fair play he ought either to get his farm again at a reasonable rate or his money that raised its value for the landlord back again sure that's but fair your honor i'm not here to discuss the morality of the subject my good friend neither do i question the truth of your argument simply as you put it i only say that what you ask is impracticable you probably know not dick of the grange for you say you are a stranger if you did you would not put yourself to the trouble of getting even a petition for such a purpose written it's a hard case your honor it is a hard case but the truth is i see nothing that can be done for the daltons to talk of putting a family in such a state as they are now in back again upon such a farm is stark nonsense without stock or capital of any kind the thing is ridiculous but suppose they had stock and capital why then they certainly would have the best right to the farm but where's the use of talking about stock or capital so far as they are concerned i wish your honor would interfere for an oppressed and ill-treated family against as great a rogue by all accounts as ever broke bread i wish you would make me first sure that they'd get their farm to what purpose i say why sir for the reason i have if your honor will make me sure that they'll get their land again that's all i want what is your reason have you capital and are you willing to assist them the peddler shook his head is it the likes of me your honor no but maybe it might be made up for them some way i believe said the agent that your intentions are good only that they are altogether impracticable however a thought strikes me go to dick of the grange and 
lay your case before him ask a new lease for your friends the daltons of course he won't give it but at all events come back to me and let me know as nearly in his own words as you can what answer he will give you go now that is all that i can do for you in the matter barrin this your honor that set in case the poor heartbroken daltons were to get capital some way perhaps said travers interrupting him you can assist them oh if i could no but that set in case as i said that it was to be forthcomin you perceive me oh the lord that i was able very well replied the other anxious to rid himself of the peddler that will do now you are i perceive one of those good-natured speculating creatures who are anxious to give hope and comfort to every one the world has many like you and it often happens that when some good fortune does throw the means of doing good into your power you turn out to be a poor pitiful miserable crew without actual heart or feeling good-bye now i have no more time to spare try dick of the grange himself and let me know his answer so saying he rang the bell and our friend the peddler by no means satisfied with the success of his interview took his leave chapter twenty three darby in danger nature triumphs the mild and gentle mave sullivan with all her natural grace and unobtrusive modesty was yet like many of the fair daughters of her country possessed of qualities which frequently lie dormant in the heart until some trying calamity or startling event of more than ordinary importance awakens them into life and action indeed any one in the habit of observing the world may have occasionally noticed that even within the range of his own acquaintances there has been many a quiet and apparently diffident girl without pretense or affectation of any kind who when some unexpected and stunning blow has fallen either upon herself or upon some one within the circle of her affections has manifested a spirit so resolute or a devotion so heroic that she has at once constituted herself the lofty example whom all admire and endeavor to follow the unrecorded calamities of ordinary life and the annals of human affection as they occur from day to day around us are full of such noble instances of courage and self-sacrifice on the part of woman for the sake of those who are dear to her dear holy and heroic woman how frequently do we who too often sneer at your harmless vanities and foibles forget the light by which your love so often dispels the darkness of our affliction and the tenderness with which your delicious sympathy charms our sorrows and our sufferings to rest when nothing else can succeed in giving us one moment's consolation the situation of the daltons together with the awful blow which fell upon them at a period of such unexampled misery had now become the melancholy topic of conversation among their neighbors most if not all of whom were however so painfully absorbed in their own individual afflictions either of death or famine or illness as to be able to render them no assistance such as had typhus in their own families were incapable of attending to the wants or distress of others and such as had not acting under the general terror of contagion which prevailed avoided the sick houses as they would a plague on the morning after old dalton's removal to prison jerry sullivan and his family were all assembled around a dull fire the day being as usual so wet that it was impossible to go out unless upon some matter of unusual importance there was little said for although they had hitherto escaped the fever still their sufferings and struggles were such as banished cheerfulness from among them mave appeared more pale and dejected than they had ever yet seen her and it was noticed by one or two of the family that she had been occasionally weeping in some remote corner of the house 
where she thought she might do so without being observed. Mave, dear, said her father, what is the matter with you? You look, darling, to be in very low spirits to-day. Were you crying? She raised her large, innocent eyes upon him, and they instantly filled with tears. I can't keep it back from you, father, she replied. Let me do as I will, and, oh, father dear, when we look out upon the world that is in it, and when we see how the hand of God is taken away so many from among us, and when we see how the people everywhere is suffering and struggling with so much, how one is here this day and in a week to come in the presence of their judge. Oh, surely, when we see all the doings of death and distress among us, we ought to think that it's no time to harbor hatred or any other bad or unchristian feelings in our hearts. It is not indeed, darling, and I hope nobody here does. No, she replied, and as she spoke, the vibrations of sorrow and of sympathy shook her naturally sweet voice into that tender expression which touches the heart of the hearer with such singular power. No, father, she proceeded, I hope not. Religion teaches us a different lesson, not only to forgive our enemies, but to return good for evil. It does occur McCree, replied her father, whose eyes expressed a kind of melancholy pride as he contemplated his beautiful but sorrowful-looking girl, giving utterance to truths which added an impressive and elevated character to her beauty. Young and old, Akushla McCree is fallen about us in every direction, but may the Father of Mercy spare you to us, my darling child, for if anything was to happen you, where, oh, where could we look upon your equal, or find anything that could console us for your loss? If it's my fate to go, Father, I'll go, and if it isn't, God will take care of me. Whatever comes, I'm resigned to his will. I, dear, and you ever were, too, and for the same reason God's blessing will be upon you. But what makes you look so low, Avarine? I trust in my Saviour you're not unwell, Mave, dear. Thanks be to God, no, Father, but there's a thing on my mind that's distressing me very much, and I hope you'll allow me my way in it. I may say so, dear, because I know you wouldn't ax me for anything that it'd be wrong to grant you. What is it, Mave? It's the unhappy and miserable state that these poor Daltons is in, she replied. Father dear, forgive me for what I'm about to say, for although it may make you angry, there's nothing farther from my heart than to give you offence. You needn't tell me so, Mave, you need not indeed, but sure you know, darling, that unfortunately we have nothing in our power to do for them. I wish to the Lord we had. Didn't we do all that people in our poor condition could do for them? Didn't you yourself, Ockra, make us send them such little assistance as we could spare? Aye, even to Sharon, I may say, our last morsel with them. And now, darling, you know we haven't it. I know that, she replied, as she wiped away her tears. Where is there a poorer family than we are, sure enough? But, Father, dear, we can assist them, relieve them. Aye, maybe save them, for all that. God be praised, then, exclaimed Sullivan. Only show me how, and we'll be glad to do it. For I can forget everything now, Mave, but their distress. But do you know the condition they're in at this moment? she asked. Do you know, father, that they're stretched on the bed of sickness? I mean, Nancy and, and young Con, who has got into a relapse. Poor Mary is scarcely able to go about. She's so badly recovered from the fever. And Tom, the wild, unfortunate young man, is out of his senses, they say. Then there's nobody to look to them but Mrs. Dalton herself. And she, you know, has to go out to ask their poor bit from the neighbors. Only think, she proceeded with a fresh burst of sorrow. Oh, only think, father, of such a woman being forced to this. 
may the lord pity her and them this woeful day exclaimed sullivan now father proceeded mave i know oh who knows better or so well what a good and kind and a forgivin heart you have and i know that even in spite of the feelin' that was and maybe is upon your mind against them you'll grant me my wish in what i'm goin' to ask what is it then let me hear it it's this you know that here in our family i can do nothing to help ourselves that is there is nothing for me to do and i feel the time hang heavy on my hands i have been thinkin father dear of this miserable state the poor daltons is in without any one to attend them in their sickness to say a kind word to them or to hand them even a drink of clean water if they wanted it them that hasn't got the fever yet won't go near them for fear of catchin it what then will become of them there they are without the face or hand or voice of kindness about them oh what on god's blessed earth will become of them they may die and they must die for want of care and assistance but sure that's not our fault dear mave we can't help them we can father and we must for if we don't they'll die father she added laying her wasted hand in his it is my intention to go over to them and as i have nothing that i can do at home to spend the greater part of the day with them in taking care of them and and in doing what i can for them yes father dear it is my intention for there is none but me to do it for them saviour of earth mave dear is it mad you are you ochre macree that's dearer to us all than the apple of our eye or the very pulse of our hearts to let you into a plague-house to let you near the deadly fever that's upon them where you'd be sure to catch it and then o oh, blessed father mave what's come over you to think of such a thing ay or to think that we'd let you expose yourself but it's all the goodness and kindness of your affectionate heart put it out of your head however don't name it or let us hear of it again but father it's a duty that our religion teaches us why what's come over you mave all at once too you that was so much afeard of it that you wouldn't go on a windy side of a feverish house or walk near any one that was even recovering from it why what's come over you simply father the thought if i don't go to them and help them they will die i was afeard of the fever and i am afeard of it but am i to let my own foolish fears prevent me from doing the part of a christian to them let us put ourselves in their place and who knows although may god forbid but it may be our own before the season passes suppose it was our own case and that all the world was afeard to come near us oh what would we think of any one man or woman that trusting in god would set their own fears at defiance and come to our relief mave i couldn't think of it if anything happened to you and that we lost you i never would lay my head down without the bitter thought that i had a hand in your death at this moment the mother who had been in another room came into the kitchen and having listened for a minute to the subject of their conversation she immediately joined her husband but still with feelings of deep and almost tearful sympathy for the daltons it's like her poor affectionate girl she exclaimed looking tenderly at her daughter but it's a thing mave we could never think of so put it out of your head she approached her mother and seizing her hands exclaimed oh mother for the sake of the living god make it your own case think of it bring it home to you look into the frightful state they're in are they to die in a christian country for want of some kind of person to attend upon them is it not our duty when we know how they are suffering i cannot rest or be at ease and i am not afeard of fever here you may say i love young condy dalton and that it is on his account i am wishing to go maybe it is and i will now tell you at once that i do love him and that if it was the worst plague that ever silenced the noise of life in a whole country it wouldn't 
prevent me from going to his relief, nor to the relief of any one belonging to him. I know, said her father, that that was at the bottom of it. I do love him, she continued, and this is more than ever I had courage to tell you openly before. But father, I feel that I am called upon here to go to their assistance, and to see that they don't die from neglect in a Christian country. I have trust and confidence in Almighty God. I am not afeard of fever now, and even if I take it and die, you both know that I'll die in actin' the part of a Christian girl, and what brighter hope could anything bring to us than the happiness that such a death would open to me? But here I feel that the strength and protection of God is upon me, and I will not die. That's all very well, Mave, said her mother, but if you took it and did die, oh, darling, in God's name, then, I'll take my chance and do the duty that I feel myself called upon to do. And, Father dear, just think for a minute. The true Christian doesn't merely forgive the injury, but returns good for evil. And then, above all things, let us make it our own case. As I said before, if we were as they are, lying racked with pain, burning with drouth, the head splitting, the whole strength gone, not able maybe to speak, and hardly able to make a sign, to make ourselves, to put a drink to our lips. Suppose I say we were lying in this state, and that all the world had deserted us. Oh, wouldn't we say that any fellow creature that had the kindness and courage to come and aid us, when our lips raise our heads and cheer our sinking hearts by the sound of their voice alone, oh, wouldn't we say that it was God that in his mercy put it into their heart to come to us and relieve us and save us? The mother's feelings gave way at this picture, and she said, addressing her husband, Jerry, maybe it's right that she should go, because, after all, what if it's God himself that has put it into her heart? He shook his head, but it was clear that his opposition began to waver. Think of the danger, he replied. Think of that. Still, if I thought it was God's own will that was setting her to it. Father, she replied, let us do what is right and leave the rest to God himself. Surely you aren't afeard to trust in him. I may take the fever here at home without going at all and die, for if it's his blessed will that I should die of it, Nothing can save me. Let me go or stay where I please. And if it's not, it matters little where I go. His divine grace and goodness will take care of me and protect me. It's to God himself, then, you are trusting me, and that ought to satisfy you. Her parents looked at each other, then at her, and with tears in their eyes, as if they had been parting with her, as for a sacrifice, they gave a consent, in which that humble confidence in the will of God, which constitutes the highest order of piety, was blended with a natural yearning and terror of the heart, lest they were allowing her to place herself rashly within the fatal reach of the contagion which prevailed. Having obtained their permission, she lost very little time in preparing for the task she had proposed to execute. A very small portion of meal and a little milk, together with one or two jugs of gruel, whey, etc., she put under her cloak, and after getting the blessings of her parents and kissing them and the rest of the family, she departed upon her pious, her sublime mission, followed by the tears and earnest prayers of her whole family. How anomalous and full of mysterious and inexplicable impulses is the human heart. Maeve Sullivan, who in volunteering to attend at the contagious beds of the unfortunate Daltons, gave singular and noble proof of the most heroic devotedness, absolutely turned from the common road on her way to their cabin, rather than meet the funeral of a person who had died of fever, and on one or two occasions kept aloof from men who she knew to be invalids by the fact of their having handkerchiefs about their heads, a proof in general that they 
had been shaved or blistered while laboring under its severest form when she had gone within about a quarter of a mile of her destination she met two individuals whose relative positions indicated anything but a state of friendly feeling between them the persons we allude to were thomas dalton and the miserable object of his vengeance darby skinadra our readers are aware that sarah caused darby to accompany her for safety to the cabin of the daltons as she feared that should young dalton again meet him at the head of his mob and he in such a furious and unsettled state the hapless miser might fall a victim to his vengeance no sooner therefore had the mealmonger heard tom's name mentioned by his father when about to proceed to prison then he left a dark corner of the cabin into which he had slunk and passing out easily disappeared without being noticed in the state of excitement which prevailed the very name of tom reminded him that he was in his father's house and that should he return and find him there he might expect little mercy at his hands tom however amidst the melancholy fatuity under which he laboured never forgot that he had an account to settle with skinadra it ran through his unsettled understanding like a sound thread through a damaged web forever and anon his thought and recollection would turn to peggy murtaugh and the miser's refusal to give her credit for the food she asked of him during the early part of that day he had gone about with a halter in his hand as if seeking some particular individual and whenever he chanced to be questioned as to his object he always replied with a wild and ferocious chuckle the fellow that killed her the fellow that killed her upon the present occasion mave was surprised by meeting him and the miser whom he must have met accidentally walking side by side but in a position which gave fearful intimation of dalton's purpose respecting him around the unfortunate wretch's neck was the halter aforesaid made into a running noose while striding beside him went his wild and formidable companion holding the end of it in his hand and eyeing him from time to time with a look of stupid but determined ferocity skinadra's appearance and position were ludicrously and painfully helpless his face was so pale and thin that it was difficult to see even in those frightful times of sickness and famine a countenance from which they were more significantly reflected he was absolutely shrunk up with terror into half his size his little thin corded neck appearing as if it was striving unsuccessfully to work its way down into his trunk and his small ferret eyes looking about in every direction for some one to extricate him out of the deadly thrall in which he was held mave who had been aware of the enmity which his companion bore him as well as of its cause and fearing that the halter was intended to hang the luckless mealman probably upon the next tree they came to did not as many another female would do avoid or run away from the madman on the contrary she approached him with an expression singularly winning and sweet on her countenance and in a voice of great kindness laid her hand upon his arm to arrest his attention asked him how he did he paused a moment and looking upon her with a dull but turbid eye exclaimed with an insane laugh pointing at the same time to the miser this is the fellow that killed her ha 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 but i have him now here he is in the noose in the noose ay and i swore it and there's another too that's to get it but i won't rob anybody nor join in that at all i'll hang him here though ha darby i have you now as he spoke poor skinadra received a chuck of the halter 
which almost brought his tongue out as far as in the throttling process which we have before described. Mave, Ocra, said he, looking at her after his recovery from the powerful jerk he had just got, for the sake of heaven, try and save my life. If you don't, he'll never let me out of his hands a livin' man. Don't be alarmed, Darby, she replied. Poor Tom won't injure you. So far from that, he'll take the halter from about your neck and let you go. Won't you let poor Darby go, Tom? I will, he replied, after I hang him. Ha, ha, ha! Twas he that killed her. He let her die with hunger. But now he'll swing for it. Ha, ha! These words were accompanied by another chuck, which pulled miserable Scanadra almost off his legs. Tom, for shame, said Mave. Why would you do such a un manly thing with this poor old creature be a man and let him go ay when he's hangin wid his tongue out ha <laughs> ha wait till we get to the rabbit bank where there's a tree to be had i've sworn it ay on her very grave too so good-bye mave come along darby mave as you expect to have the gates of heaven opened to your soul and don't leave me exclaimed the miser with clasped hands. Mave looked up and down the road, but could perceive no one approach who might render the unfortunate man assistance. Tom, said she, I must insist on your setting the poor man at liberty. I insist upon it. You cannot, and you must not take his life in a Christian country. If you do, you know you will be hanged yourself. Let him go immediately. Oh, I, he replied, you insist me, but I'll tell you what. I'll put Peggy in a coach yet when I come into my fortune, and so you'll insist, will you? Just look at that wrist of yours, he replied, seizing hers, but with gentleness, and then look at this of mine. And now will you tell me that you'll insist? Come, Darby, we're bound for the bank. There's not a beach there but's a hundred feet high, and that's higher than ever i'll make you swing from your heart bled for her didn't it but how will you look when i have you facing the sun with your tongue out tom replied the wretch i go on my knees to you and as you hope tom hope you hard-hearted hound isn't her father's curse upon me ay and in me wasn't she destroyed among us and you bid me hope by the broken heart she died of, you'll get a double tug for that. And he was about to drag him on in a state of great violence, when Mave again placed her hand upon his arm and said, I'm sure, Tom, you are not ungrateful. I am sure you would not forget a kind act done to poor Peggy that's gone. Peggy, he replied, what about her? Gone. Peggy's gone. Is she gone? She is gone, replied Mave, but not lost and it is most likely that she is now looking down with displeasure at your conduct and intentions towards this poor man but listen are you going to speak about peggy though i am and listen do you remember one evening in the early part of this summer it was of a sunday there was a crowd about old brian murtaugh's house and the report of peggy's shame had gone abroad and couldn't be kept from people's eyes any longer. She was turned out of her father's house. She was beaten by her brother, who swore that he would take the life of the first person, whether man or woman, young or old, that would give her one hour's shelter. She was turned out, poor young, misled, and mistaken creature, and no one would receive her, for no one durst. There was a young girl then passing through the village on her way home, much about Peggy's own age, but barring in one respect, neither so good nor so handsome. Poor Peggy ran to that young girl, and she was going to throw herself into her arms, but she stopped. I am not worthy, she said, crying bitterly. I am not worthy, but, oh, I have no roof to shelter me, for no one dare take me in. What will become of me? While she spoke, 
dalton's mind appeared to have been stirred into something like a consciousness of his situation and his memory to have been brought back as it were from the wild and turbulent images which had impaired its efficacy to a personal recollection of circumstances that had ceased to affect him his features for instance became more human his eye more significant of his feeling and his whole manner more quiet and restored he looked upon the narrator with an awakened interest surveyed darby as if he scarcely knew how or why he came there and then sighed deeply mave proceeded i am an outcast now said poor peggy i have neither house nor home i have no father no mother no brother and he that i loved and said that he loved me has deserted me oh said she i have nothing to care for and nobody to care for me now and what was dearest of all my good name is gone no one will shelter me although i thought of nothing but my love for thomas dalton she was scorned thomas dalton she was insulted and abused by women who knew her innocence and her goodness till she met him every tongue was against her every hand was against her and every door was closed against her no not every one the young woman she spoke to with tears in her eyes out of compassion for one so young and unfortunate brought peggy murtaugh home and cried with her and gave her hope and consoled her and pleaded with her father and mother for the poor deluded girl in such a way that they forgot her misfortune and sheltered her till after her brother's death she was taken in again to her own father's house now tom wouldn't you like to oblige that girl who was kind to poor peggy murtaugh it was jerry sullivan's it was into your father's house she was taken it was tom and the young woman who befriended peggy murtaugh is now standing by your side and asks you to let darby skinadre go do then let him go for the sake of that young woman mave on concluding looked up into his face and saw that his eyes were moist he then smiled moodily and placing his hand upon her head in an approving manner said you were always good mave here set darby free but my mind's uneasy i'm not right i doubt nor as i ought to be but i'll tell you what i'll go back towards home with you if you'll tell me more about peggy do so she replied delighted at such a proposal and i will tell you many a thing about her and you darby she added turning round to that individual short however as the time was the exulting but still trembling usurer was making his way at full speed towards his own house so that she was spared the trouble of advising him as she had intended to look to his safety as well as he could such was the gentle power with which mave softened and subdued this ferocious and unsettled young man to her wishes and indeed so forcible in general was her firm but serene enthusiasm that wherever the necessity for exerting it occurred it was always crowned with success thomas dalton as might be expected swayed by the capricious impulse of his unhappy derangement did not accompany her to her father's cabin when within a few hundred yards of it he changed his intention and struck across the country like one who seemed uncertain as to the course he should take of late indeed he rambled about sometimes directing otherwise associating himself with such mobs as we have described sometimes wandering in a solitary manner through the country at large and but seldom appearing at home on the present occasion he looked at mave and said i hate sick people mave and i won't go home but whisper when you see peggy murtaugh's father tell him that i'll have her in a coach yet please god and he'll take the curse off o me 
when he hears it, maybe, and all will be right. He then bid her good-bye, turned from the road, and bent his steps in the direction of the rabbit bank, on one of the beaches on which he had intended to hang the miser. Chapter 24. Rivalry If the truth were known, the triumph which Mave Sullivan achieved over the terror of fever which she felt in common with almost every one in the country around her was the result of such high-minded devotion as would have won her a statue in the times of old greece when self-sacrifice for human good was appreciated and rewarded in her case indeed the triumph was one of almost unparalleled heroism for among all the difficulties which she had to overcome by far the greatest was her own constitutional dread of contagion it was only on reaching the miserable pest house in which the daltons lived and on witnessing with her own eyes the clammy atmosphere which in the shape of dark heavy smoke was oozing in all directions from its roof that she became conscious of the almost fatal step that she was about to take and the terrible test of christian duty and exalted affection to which she was in the act of subjecting herself on arriving at the door and when about to enter even the resolution she had come to and the lofty principle of trust in god on which it rested were scarcely able to support her against the host of constitutional terrors rushed upon her breast the great act of self-sacrifice as it may almost be termed which she was about to perform became so diminished in her imagination that all sense of its virtue passed away and instead of gaining strength from a consciousness of the pure and unselfish motive by which she was actuated she began to contemplate her conduct as the result of a rash and unjustifiable presumption on the providence of god and a wanton exposure of the life he had given her she felt herself tremble her heart palpitated and for a minute or two her whole soul became filled with a tumultuous and indistinct perception of all she had proposed to do as well as of everything about her gradually however this state of feeling cleared away by and by the purity and christian principle that were involved in her conduct came to her relief what she asked herself if they should die without assistance in god's name and with his strength to aid me i will run all risks and fulfil the task i have taken upon me to do may he support and protect me through it thus resolved and thus fortified she entered the gloomy scene of sickness and contagion there were but four persons within that is to say her lover his sister nancy mary the invalid and sarah mcgowan nancy and her brother were now awake and poor mary occupied her father's armchair in which she sat with her head reclined upon the back of it somewhat indeed after his own fashion and sarah opposite young con's bed having her eyes fixed with a mournful expression on his pale and almost death-like countenance mave's appearance occasioned the whole party to feel much surprise and mary rose from her armchair and greeting her affectionately said i cannot welcome you dear mave to such a place as this and indeed i am sorry you came to see us for i needn't tell you what i'd feel what we'd all feel and here she looked quickly but with the slightest possible significance at her brother if anything happened you in consequence which may god forbid how are you all at home we are all free from sickness thank god said mave whom the presence of sarah caused to blush deeply but how are you all here 
I'm sorry to find that poor Nancy is ill and that Con has got a relapse. She turned her eyes upon him as she spoke, and on contemplating his languid and sickly countenance, she could only by a great effort repress her tears. Do not come near us, dear Mave, said Dalton, and indeed it was wrong to come here at all. God bless you and guard you, Mave, said Nancy, and we feel your goodness. But as Con says, it was wrong to put yourself in the way of danger. For God's sake, and as you hope to escape this terrible sickness, leave the house at once. We're sensible of your kindness, but leave us, leave us, for every minute you stop may be death to you. End of section 11